On today's episode of Harmonizing Joy podcast, our sacred communion with the fabric of the universe, harmonizing with the resonance of the energetic signature I'm currently vibing in, walking you through my story, at least the highlights and many lowlights, feels right. Having a place where the story of my life resides is an interesting feeling, one that feels really right for now. Today, you will hear the journey of my homeschooled, devout evangelical Christian upbringing in Southeast New Mexico, the shaping of my perspective due to the relationship of my father, the challenges and gifts he and my mom gave me, experiencing Africa at the tender age of 14 for two weeks, my experience of homeschooling and the unique high school jobs I had, all of which shaped the person that I am growing through. The continuation of my story in part two is the trip to Mozambique, Africa at the age of 18 for a three-month mission school, the loss of my half-brother while I was there in Africa, as well as the next few months processing the whole experience and trying to make decisions for my life as best as I understood. What the next two years look like as I tried to navigate adulthood in my current understanding of myself and the world. In part three, I will be sharing about the connection and commitment with my best friend turned husband and our relationship and learning to navigate marriage, my journey into motherhood and the impact of loss and grief of miscarriage and the abrupt death of my dad. We have a lot to cover as I unpack the lessons and experiences of my life so far. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today as I journey back through the events of my life and explore my own story again with fresh eyes of love, compassion, and acceptance. But before we dive into part one of my story, I want to share with you about my Sweet Soul Sisters offerings that are very much in alignment with so much of the healing work I have been doing over the last few years. Her name is Katie May, and working with her through any of her portals is life-altering. I have had several Akashic Record readings with her, and the settledness of myself in my own skin was unlike anything I had experienced with anyone else. I highly recommend connecting with her as she unlocks and opens pieces of yourself you've been longing to feel and see again. She also has an amazing group portal called the Sacred Year Project, where she weaves and remembers the rituals of reclamation and remembrance of what it means to live in season and cycle with Mother Earth and with yourself so that you can fully honor and embody your life and bloom wildly in your own authentic way. So much of our lives in our Western culture are lived with very little consideration of the rhythm of seasons or cycles that nature goes through, much less about the cycles and rhythms of our own body. This year-long portal is one that grounds us to this Earth experience in a really unique way. Katie has graciously offered my listeners a discount code. The link and details are in the show notes. If you have any questions about any of the details, you can email me or find me on Instagram at HarmonizingJoy. Now, let's get into the story. Way back in 1987, on a sunny, bright day, two days before the American holiday of Mother's Day, a little girl was born 28 days past her due date to a couple in their mid-30s, in a little town in southeastern corner of New Mexico. The day of induction had finally come as the doctor was concerned for the extremely long pregnancy. Instead of the induction procedures, labor began and the whitest baby he had ever seen, quoted by the doctor, was born that Friday afternoon. Those early years of life are not really remembered very crisply. However, as I've navigated motherhood, I've experienced a lot of flashbacks to those early formative years. 
One was while I was nursing my fourth baby's eyes locked onto hers. I remembered what it felt like to be nursing from my own mom. The safety, the sense of being home in her arms pulsed through my whole body. I felt warm and connected with her. The smell of her rushed through my olfactory system. The flash was but an instant. However, my whole body remembered and relaxed instantly. As the years wandered past, my mom was my best friend. I've always felt a very special bond with her, a bond that is solid and unwavering, no matter any sort of weather that came its way, a friendship of love and understanding and wisdom. She gave everything she was ever given and ever had to me, and I am eternally grateful that I chose her and she chose me. About two and a half years later, there was a brother in my life, and he was the light of my life. I adored him, cared for him, and loved him as extravagantly as I had been loved by my mom. He had a lisp and a very difficult time speaking clearly for most adults to understand him, including my parents. However, I understood him perfectly and would interpret for him all the time. Still to this day, there are very few people I've encountered that I can't understand their words. I loved him deeply with every fiber of my being. Children express what they see and experience, modeled for them by the security figures of their lives, more than they get from the verbal instruction. And so I stepped in and helped mother him as I saw my mom do. That quickly earned me the title of bossy, and the number of times I heard, stop bossing him around and quit being so bossy, cannot be quantified. In my deep self-analyzation, as to the hows and whys of my perspective and action over the years, I've come to learn quite a lot about human behavior and perspectives. So often when there are deep wounds around something, there are labels slapped on, and those labels are often pressure release valves for the person doing the labeling. However, often the person receiving the labels is also receiving the pressure that's being let out on them, only for them to figure out what to do with it and how to release it. And oftentimes the cycle continues until someone chooses to release that pressure in a different way. My sweet dad was the one with some deep wounding that slapped that label on me and created a deep stigma that I still wrestle with today, especially in my relationship with my brother. Changing viewpoints you've held for a really long time of a person is a really big task that requires a lot of effort, time, courage, and love. And those who put the effort in are often rewarded with a really beautiful relationship. Those early formative years of my life were invested in the Bible and church. My dad felt he had been called to be a pastor and after traveling to Mexico to preach and pray for the sick at an orphanage, he and my mom decided to move to Tulsa, Oklahoma and attend Rhema Bible Training Institute for two years. My brother and I, having been mostly homeschooled, attended public school for the first time in what was a little suburb called Bixby. It was a really rich couple of years, filled with swimming lessons at the local YMCA behind our trailer house, and basketball and soccer games. I had the best fifth grade science teacher who deeply cared about his students, and we got to experiment with shooting off rockets in the school playground at the end of the year was a special highlight. He actually attended my wedding many years later. We attended Church on the Move where I learned to run sound and do puppetry. I even got to build my own puppet, Sally. It was just a really great couple of years. My parents seemed to thrive and subsequently my brother and I did too. The one major drawback of living in Oklahoma was being so far away from my grandparents. My dad's mom was a safe place for me. She adored me and I knew it. Truthfully, my grandma and grandpa both did. 
They were a place of fun and exploration with very few rules. My grandma always had those super yummy and oh-so-healthy Hot Pockets in the freezer, as well as our favorite ice cream, Neapolitan. She would make us jello and always had those pudding cups in the fridge. On my grandparents' 160-acre farm, he had horses and four-wheelers for us to ride, BB and 22 rifles for us to go rabbit hunting. We played card games and watched old westerns. There wasn't a moment with my grandparents that wasn't wonderful. My mom valued my grandparents greatly and always encouraged the relationship between them and my brother and me at any opportunity we had. Life is fleeting, you know. We never know how much time we will have with someone. I will always remember my time spent with both grandparents. Their steadiness was a gift to me. The summer between my fourth and fifth grade year, my brother and I got to spend a whole month with them at their farm back in New Mexico. And man, was it wonderful. After their graduation from Rama in Oklahoma, we moved back to Southeast New Mexico, back to the same little town, back to the same little house where I'd spent the majority of my life to that point. The difference this time was we attended a different church, a daughter church to Church on the Move. We attended that church for five years. The environment the youth pastor created really fanned the flames of my spirituality and desires for the radical, intimate things of God. We had worship nights that would go late into the night that allowed us to release deep emotions, and the messages were really personal and connected to the situations we were all facing. My time in that youth group sealed my love affair with the divine that had been cultivated throughout my entire life up to that point. You see, my dad valued the supernatural spiritual more than his physical life. He and my mom were quite devout in their faith and trust in the Bible and what it said. They both fasted and prayed regularly, one could say religiously. (laughs) Before my parents married, my dad spent 10 years in his little travel trailer reading the Bible, fasting and praying, doing whatever he could to feel like he was honoring God with his life. Saving souls and healing the sick would become a major focus as I grew up. But to understand the culture of my home, this is a really important one to understand. My dad was a very determined person, one who liked to argue his perspectives and felt that he was right because he had the time, effort, and study to back it up. He also didn't have any other interests or hobbies. To have a conversation with my dad was to talk about the Bible, God, or your salvation. So as a result, my brother and I learned quickly that we had to have a decent grasp of the Bible to have a conversation or any connection with him. Studying the Bible, reading books that helped further my understanding of the Bible, and listening to sermons and Christian music were the things that consumed my life. Not only did it help me connect with my dad, but it also furthered my ability to connect with the people in my youth group. Eventually, this led to me offering little mini ties and offering sermons almost weekly. My zealous and curious nature propelled me to dig into church history and the history of the book we were basing so much of our lives and eternity on. At the time, my dad was also studying church history, except with a different bend. Mine was to answer the questions of authenticity, and his was to learn how to master it. This would be a foundation stone for one of those lessons I would learn over and over again. That which you seek, you will find. That which you look at, you will see. There was a lot of talk about martyrs in our youth group at the time. The Columbine High School shooting had just happened, and there was a lot of talk about Rachel Scott. Her boldness in saying she believed in God is what caused her to die. Would anyone in this room be bold enough to die for the sake of the gospel? Was asked over and over again throughout those first few years of youth group. There was a natural progression of conversation and preaching and perspective from this high school shooting in America to martyrs all over the world. 
We probably spent a year or more talking about and exploring stories of men and women who gave their lives for the gospel. Ted Decker's books made their way into my obsession. Heaven's Wager, Heaven Weeps, and Martyr Song were some of my all-time favorite books at the time. Brother Lawrence with Practicing the Presence of God, Rick Joyner's Final Quest shaped my perspectives and desires. Being a missionary in a foreign country was what I was here to do with my life. And if it was fitting for me to be a martyr for Christ, then so be it. I would do it willingly and unafraid. In 2001, my closest friend at the time and I decided to go on a mission trip to South Africa for two weeks. The ministry that was actively seeking youth groups to attend their trips and camps was T-Mania Ministries. With the history they had of taking teens around the world, my parents felt that it was safe enough for me to go. I was ecstatic. We fundraised by doing car washes, bake sales, painting fences, cleaning yards, and sending letters out to everyone we knew to help support us and our adventure. It was old school sweat labor GoFundMe days. In late August, my parents drove me out to East Texas to the ministry property and dropped me off. The goal of these trips was to win souls for Christ. The strategy was performing different theater skits in the local language, sharing the message of the gospel. We were to spend the first three days in East Texas rehearsing and learning the skit, attending assemblies that would teach us more about the country that we were going to, and offering a salvation message for anyone who might have arrived and didn't themselves know this Jesus Christ, Savior of the world. This was the first time I had ever been away from my parents or any adult that I was familiar with, and there are a couple of really core foundational moments that happened on this trip. The second day after we arrived, we were rehearsing the skit that we were going to be performing in South Africa for a good five hours solid outside in the hot, humid heat with very few water breaks. I remember being so exhausted and what I felt was my end, so nervous for what I could only imagine was to come, wondering how I could actually do any of this. Overcome with fear racing through my entire body, I called my parents who had just arrived home from their long 12-hour drive. The moment I heard my mom's voice, I sobbed. Immediately, my mom asked how I was doing and if everything was okay. Trying so hard to regain my composure, I finally gathered myself together and said that everything was okay. It was just really good to hear her voice. She said that if I wanted to come home, I could. There was no obligation to go if I had changed my mind. In what felt like a few minutes, but I know were just a few brief seconds, I looked at what it would be like the next time I tried to do something brave and challenging and realized that I was only prolonging the inevitable. I calmly told my mom, sniffling through the words spoken, that this was something I had to do, but hearing her voice helped me a lot. I kept that perspective at the forefront of my mind the rest of the two weeks. The next lesson I learned on that trip was the area of comfort. It was the first time I had really experienced physical discomfort and learned that my body was so much more capable than I knew. When we arrived in South Africa, it was winter time and below freezing temperatures at night. I had only ever gone camping a couple of times with my dad, but never in cold or harsh conditions. I was used to blazing hot, but not freezing cold. To go to sleep at night, I would wear as many layers as physically possible, wrap myself in my cozy blanket, and then tuck myself into my sleeping bag. I learned that if I tucked my head inside the sleeping bag, my warm breath would help keep me at a reasonable temperature. We ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day for lunch, which was the first time I had eaten the exact same thing for the same meal for that long in a row. I remember asking one of the counselors, is this okay for our bodies to eat the same thing every day? He looked at me and laughed and then gave me perspective that the people that we were there to minister to ate the same thing every day if they even got a meal. 
and that peanut butter and jelly sandwiches were perfectly fine for the duration of our trip. I battled fear on and off through the rest of the trip, learning to dance with my body and my mind. We arrived home five days before the 9-11 attacks, which was a sobering moment for me at 14. I remember waking that morning and in the dream I had just woken up from, I saw two planes flying into a couple of really tall buildings and explosions and fires everywhere. When we turned the radio on, that's exactly what was happening. Being in the biblical mindset that I was, this could only mean one thing. We were nearing the end of days. There would be wars and rumors of wars marking the second coming of Christ. Of course, this attack was even more potent because it came on the back of the Y2K scare where the world was ending and there would be a rapture of all of God's people. The left behind story would come alive in my generation and these were all the signs that those who had eyes to see would recognize. Over the next couple of years, I would get to raise rabbits and show them at our local county and Eastern Fair. I would have the honor of winning Best in Show and Best in Barn at both fairs one year and proceed to take my rabbits to sale, which was a massive highlight for me. With that win on my shoulders, I would go on to host a rabbit clinic for the 4-H'ers to learn to show better and pick better rabbits. We invited people who cared to see the 4-H rabbit program grow, discussing the problems and the needs of the program. One of the solutions that came out of those conversations was a full-fledged dedicated rabbit barn on our fairgrounds. I felt so proud to have created such a catalyst for such profound change. It made me feel really, really good. I had always admired cowgirls and rodeo queens. When I was about six or seven years old, my second or third cousin not only ran, but won Miss Rodeo New Mexico and went on to compete in Miss Rodeo America. The elegance, class, and poise of these women captivated my young imagination and left a lasting impression on me. I was captivated by these women and their ability to seamlessly blend strength and grace on the back of a horse, on stage answering questions, and in person was truly inspiring. As I watched them ride with such skill and perform intricate routines, I dreamed of someday embodying that same sense of empowerment and fearlessness that these rodeo queens seemed to exhibit. In 2003, I decided that I would run for the Eastern New Mexico State Fair Queen. Not exactly the same as Rodeo Queen, but very similar and equally as cool in my book. Through 4-H, we were connected with an amazing senior who offered riding lessons. She offered to coach me in riding for the competition, and I spent every single Saturday that I could out at her house cleaning stalls, prepping, and learning how to ride. My fondest memory was her telling me how quickly I was improving. The confidence of being with her was such a wonderful gift. All while I was training, my mom was taking classes to get her nurse's license reinstated to help financially, and my dad was looking for a church to pastor because he had yet to fulfill the dream and the call of God on his life. Well, he happened to find a little church about five hours west of our little town in an even smaller little town. I remember my dad inviting me out to a little Mexican restaurant where he cleaned their carpets every month. This was how he provided for our family. The following conversation was a really difficult one. He told me that my mom and I could stay behind until after the pageant and he and my brother would go over to get settled. I immediately felt the whole weight of my parents' marriage and future of our family on my shoulders. You see, my parents' marriage was strained and had been for a long time. They argued and fought a lot. I heard a vast majority of their arguments from the time I was five years old. 
so many different circumstances, but all with the same resounding theme, desperate to be seen and heard and loved for who they were. And because of this intense pain that they both felt, neither one could offer to the other the things that they needed. Religion, spirituality, and the Bible offered some solace and answers. Still deeply rooted in the narrative, they already believed that they were not enough, not good enough, not smart enough, not holy enough to be loved or wanted. Each of their arguments and intense conversations resounded with the same resonance. Of course, that understanding wouldn't come until much, much later for me. As I sat across from my dad in that booth that day, listening to him share his excitement and his trepidations about the move, I imagined what life would be like if I took him up on his offer. What if I did stay behind with my mom? How would that play out? What would it look like for connectedness between all of us? Would it be the ending of my parents' marriage? That little bit of time away from each other? What would that look like for my brother? What if I did choose to just go? What would it all look like? As I explored each of these options, my body did not feel okay with staying behind with my mom. So I looked at my dad in the eyes and said, no dad, it's okay. We'll all move together. In that moment, I chose to give up my dreams and not split up the family, if even for just a few months. I chose to move with my folks five hours away and have dual enrollment attending Western New Mexico University for my junior and senior year of high school. Little did I know that my parents would choose a house to buy with property and a horse for me to be able to ride, or that for the first time in over a decade, there would be a rodeo queen competition in that little town, or that I would compete and win first runner-up, or that I would get to be the catalyst of and organize a rodeo queen clinic locally, or that I would get to work at a radio station and eventually be a co-host on a morning show, or get to go to Mexico on a pottery workshop with my college pottery class for a weekend, or be a kindergarten teacher at a little local private school, or that I would experience some really radical loving relationships outside of my family up to that point. The two years we were in Silver City, New Mexico were two really magical years for all of those reasons I shared with you and so many more. There was a really pivotal moment in my life in December before I was to graduate high school. But first, let me backtrack for a minute. While we were in Oklahoma, I had an opportunity to tour Oral Roberts University, ORU, and had firmly decided that I was going to attend, majoring in business marketing and specializing in advertising. I really love the psychology behind sales. I realized that there was a lot of similarities between what people in ministry did and what people who sold products or services did. I thought that I could understand marketing better, I could serve God better by getting more people to hear the gospel message. One weekend, I was house-sitting for my boss. They had a gorgeous, hand-built home that he built over a 10-year period in the mountains. They had radiant, heated floors. This was before most people knew what it was or had it in their homes. And they hand-painted the floors to look like stones. My boss had designed it and built it. The home was laid out in a circle. It was one of the most magical homes I have ever been in to this day. I was so excited to get to serve my boss and stay in this home over the weekend. My intention and plan for this weekend was to spend time alone with God and figure out what I needed to do to attend ORU. The first day, I remembered an email I received from this guy friend of mine who I met on my trip to South Africa. 
He was telling me all about this lady who ministered and preached while burying her face in her lap, sitting on her knees on the stage. Her message was about love, loving God with everything in you, loving the one in front of you. Her messages were all about laying your life down fully in your love for God. A laid down lover is how she phrased it. As I watched this lady, Heidi Baker, my whole being lit up and I was enthralled. This is what I was craving. This was the spirit I deeply desired to live my life from. My dad's focus was winning souls and healing the sick, but that never really connected for me. Love was the message, it had to be. I had spent countless hours in church and outside of my youth pastor that one summer, I had never heard a message that resonated so clearly. Love was what everything was all about, and she shared stories of love displayed. I wanted to learn from her. I wanted to experience this love firsthand, but she was only in the States raising funds for her ministry in Mozambique three months out of the year. So I was stuck for the time being, watching her sermons on VHS that my buddy had sent to me. As I opened my computer that first morning of house-sitting, I heard internally, your education is more important to you than I am. Wow, I thought. I recalled every scripture that I ever knew about idols in the Bible and every sermon I'd ever heard. And my thoughts reeled with scriptures. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. The children of Israel were told over and over again and consequently punished in the wilderness because they kept turning to their idols and losing heart. You weren't supposed to eat meat sacrificed to idols. John and Paul talk extensively about idols. Was I in the category of these people who willfully hurt God? What was I to do about this idol? In the Bible, burning was the common theme of instruction to destroy the idols you possessed. But how do you burn a desire? The thought that came to me was to go out into nature. So I sat the computer on the little table next to me, got a little piece of paper that was in my bag and wrote these words, my education. With my heart intent of releasing ORU and any other ideas I had of plans for my college and learning, I got in my little blue Aerostar van and made my way up the mountain. I didn't go too far before I saw a large boulder and a tree clearing. I got out and placed that piece of paper on the boulder and said, I release my education. Forgive me, Father. Immediately, there was a gust of wind on that particularly calm day and blew that piece of paper away. As I drove home, I asked God what I was supposed to do now. No college in my future, what was I supposed to do? When I returned to the house, I logged into my email finally to find a note from my buddy telling me all about this school that Heidi and her husband were hosting in Mozambique at their ministry headquarters that summer. It was the first ever of its kind and it was called Holy Given School of Missions. Ah, even the name indicated everything I wanted to be and learn on a deep, rich level. This is what I wanted to do. I was to experience missions firsthand and focus on my spirituality, not the carnal nature of the flesh and business. I had such an overwhelming feeling of peace and tranquility rush over my being. This, this is what I was going to do immediately after graduating high school. Spend three months in Mozambique, Africa, in the dirt with these beautiful people, learning from my hero. For the next four months, I worked diligently to raise funds and sort out all of the details to make my way to Mozambique, Africa. My mom helped me with all the logistics, and my dad was so excited for me pursuing ministry at such a young age that he fasted and prayed for my journey. My mom even applied and considered going with me, but ultimately decided not to go. 
And once I share with you the events that took place that summer, it was for the best. Being homeschooled and dually enrolled in Western New Mexico University, I wasn't sure how I was going to graduate high school. And when you're in high school, graduating is the whole goal and focus, outside of where you're attending college, that is. The little private school that I was teaching at in the afternoons gave me a really amazing gift. My boss asked me for my transcripts and agreed to give me a diploma. I was one of the three graduating seniors that year. Overwhelmed with gratitude filled my entire being. The forced schooling was over and done with. Now I was able to focus on the things that I really got excited about. Boarding the plane to venture to Africa for then a second time, except this time completely alone, I discovered new things about myself. One being how much I really love airports. More on that in the next episode. As I embark on this adventure to Mozambique, Africa and dive deep into the heart of my spirituality and mission, the twists and turns of my life are only beginning to unfold. Next week's episode, I'll take you with me as I explore what being in Africa around the message of love with a bunch of strangers, making deep connections of friends, and walking through the loss of my brother in a foreign land. So lovelies, if you're curious about how the story unfolds, if you want to be part of the journey of self-discovery, love, and resilience, then join me next week as I continue to harmonize joy and explore the sacred communion with the fabric of the universe. Your presence makes this journey all the more meaningful, and I can't wait to share the next part of my story with you. Thank you for tuning in, and I'll catch you in the next episode of Harmonizing Joy. Until then, stay curious, stay compassionate, and keep exploring the depths of your own beautiful stories.